is here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, Hope you had a wonderful Independence Day, July 4th. You progressives out there, I don't know why you even celebrate it, uh, since you're into fundamental transformation, which gets us right to the point. The Supreme Court, we've been talking about this for some time. I spent almost an hour on Levin TV earlier today preparing a uh, and, and making uh, comments and analyses on the Roe versus Wade decision, how we got there and the, the background of it. It's an abomination, an absolute abomination, but I don't believe the Supreme Court will reverse it because I don't believe John Roberts will vote to reverse it. John Roberts of Obamacare. Can somebody tell me which five justices would do that? And as I said the other day, we ought to fight that issue on the merits with the Democrats. But folks, the Supreme Court hears lots of cases about lots of stuff. The abortion cases are, are a fraction of the number of cases that the Supreme Court hears. They decide on matters involving criminal law, civil law, antitrust law. Disputes between and among the states, environmental law, so forth and so on. So the key is to pick a constitutionalist. Not a leftist, not a rightist, a constitutionalist. And you assume and hope that a constitutionalist will do the right thing. Whether it's abortion, whether it's marriage, whether it's prayer, whether it's antitrust, whether it's campaign finance, or whatever the issue is. That's the way this is supposed to be approached. I heard some of Chuck Schumer on the floor of the Senate today. He is, of course, a disgrace who is bought and paid for by the radical socialist left of the Democrat Party. He calls the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society far right and extremists. Why? Why are they far right and extremists? Because they support the Constitution? We must make it abundantly clear that the status progressives on the left now consider anyone who supports the Constitution to be on the far right. The Bill of Rights on the far right, separation of powers on the far right, due process on the far right, probable cause, searches with warrants, is that on the far right? The Equal Protection Clause, is that on the far right? Tell me. Of course not. But the lame brains in the, in the Republican Party don't know how to respond to this stuff. I keep hearing this appointment is a game changer. It's not necessarily a game changer at all. If the president nominates somebody who winds up lurching left on fundamental issues, it's not a game changer in the least. That's why it's so crucial that he nominate the right person. But a game changer in what sense? This past court, not this past year, but the makeup of this court, upheld Obamacare, which was utterly unconstitutional, and nationalize the issue of gay marriage, overturning the vote in California in the past and all the other states that addressed it. And this court is supposed to be 
most conservative court in a generation. If you listen to the left, if you read their propaganda, you'll think we're headed toward fascism. This court isn't even close to being a seriously constitutionalist court. It's not even close. Just because now and then we get a good decision, five to four in most cases, doesn't make it a constitutionalist court. You've got serious activists on this court. Every Democrat on the court is a hardcore leftist. Every one of them. One from the ACLU. And they want you to believe that they're going to protect your rights. Not going to protect your rights. The Democrats want them to protect their agenda. Their agenda, which has been implemented from on high, from Mount Olympus at the Supreme Court in some cases, and they don't want to change, as I pointed out the other day. For the Democrats, this isn't a Supreme Court. It's a Politburo. And they want to control the Politburo so they can control the politics. So they want to enshrine within the Constitution their political and policy agenda. That's what they want to do. So these battles are very, very important. The Supreme Court is out of control. The Supreme Court has power it ought not have. It has seized for itself power that the Constitution has not granted it. And it's gotten worse and worse decade after decade. So if there's even a tiny movement toward recognizing its limited constitutional role, you're being told that it's the most conservative court in a generation. That's the court that imposed same-sex marriage on the nation, the court that imposed Obamacare on the nation. I can go on. So if the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society are considered extreme right-wing by the Democrats, what's considered conservative by the Democrats? Now, the president has a big decision to make. He ran on this issue. He ran on this issue. And millions of you voted for him, who were skeptical of him, on this issue. That's why he put out the list. We're told it's coming down to four people. Four people. One of the people is, hands down, a constitutionalist. There's simply no question about it. And she happens to be female. And she happens to have seven kids, two of whom she adopted from Haiti. Her name is Barrett, Amy Barrett. Now we're told she's too young. She's well into her 40s. Why is that too young? So if you're 47 years old, if you become 51 or 52, you have so much more knowledge and wisdom and judicial temperament than you would have had at 47? That is a stupid argument. That is preposterous. She has limited experience on the bench, seven months. That's seven months more experience than Elena Kagan ever had on the bench since she was never a federal judge. She worked at the Justice Department as Solicitor General for a period of time and was a professor and a law school president. I can name numerous individuals who've served as Supreme Court justices who weren't judges. Then they say, but then we won't know how she thinks. Really? Well, how is it that the Democrats know that she's public enemy number one? And the reason is she has spent 15 years writing about originalism and textualism. 
some of the most brilliant writings that I've ever read on the subject, and I read a lot. The reason why, if she's not nominated, she won't be, is because Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski are radicals on abortion. They believe in partial birth abortion. Should they be the determining factor on whether our president nominates an unabashed textualist and originalist? I don't think so. Since when do two liberals, real liberals in the Republican Party, get to make that kind of decision or have that kind of influence? They shouldn't. Then we read that Mitch McConnell, he wants the two who might be the easiest to confirm. The guy from Michigan, who's a former Kennedy clerk, and and who's the other one? And Pennsylvania, Hardiman. Because on the so-called hot issues, they have very thin records. Then we get to Kavanaugh. I have never seen a campaign for a Supreme Court justice to be nominated as aggressive, as nasty, as ruthless, and as dishonest as the campaign behind Kavanaugh. That's not to say he wouldn't make a good justice, but there are questions. And should he be the nominee, because apparently he's the leading candidate, I don't know firsthand, should he be the nominee, and he's in front of that committee, we constitutional conservatives, that is, we constitutionalists, we want conservatives like Mike Lee and Ted Cruz to ask some questions to satisfy our concerns, particularly on Obamacare, particularly on abortion, particularly on immigration. I don't need to hear his views on Chevron and the administrative state. We know they're good. They're very good. But I need to know if he's a constitutionalist. All of them. All of them. Now, the Democrats are going to fight all of them. Unless Donald Trump nominates Ruth Bader Ginsburg recarnate, incarnate, rather, they will oppose whoever Trump nominates. Why? Because they're nuts. That's why. Need I say more? You see this guy, little Dick Durbin of Illinois, he's everywhere. Why is he everywhere? Because he's among their most obnoxious propagandists and demagogues in the country. And what is he saying? Unless the nominee supports abortion on demand, unless the nominee supports Obamacare, unless the nominee supports open borders, unless the nominee supports curtailing free speech when it comes to campaigns, well, then obviously they're right wing and we can't support them. So in other words, unless the Trump nominee is one of them, he won't support them. Well, who cares? Who cares who Dick Durbin supports? Takes a simple majority now to confirm a nominee to the Supreme Court. McConnell's looking for the easiest way out. Who cares what McConnell wants? He's one senator from one state. If this is going to be a bruising battle, then let it be a battle worth fighting. If this is going to be a bruising battle then let us ensure as best as we can that the person who winds up on the Supreme Court is, as they say, a person of integrity and not deceitful about what they really believe. Now, if somebody like Barrett were nominated, and if she were brutalized, and if she lost, I believe that the president would win big time in the midterm elections. Big time. She's not only a brilliant, brilliant 
jurist and former professor and writer. She's a mother, a wife. She has seven kids, two adopted from Haiti. Now, for all this talk, little Dick Durbin of Illinois, I don't believe he's adopted any kids from Haiti. I don't believe Chuck Schumer's adopted any kids from Haiti. Instead, they try to turn her into a right-wing kook who follows a bizarre religion, which we call Catholicism. It's incredible. Incredible. So we'll see. We'll see. I am not here to sabotage the President of the United States, who I admire greatly. And I know for a fact that he's been working very hard on this. And I know for a fact that he's been trying to make the right decision. And I think he deserves, at least for us, to look at the candidate he nominates, to do our best to support that candidate if that candidate is as presented. But we'll find out. One other thing. This argument, well, we'll go with, uh, and I read it, and all the uh, phonies and talk radio are predicting, well, if he goes with Kavanaugh or one of them first, he can always go with Barrett second. That's been in the newspaper. It's also a dumb argument. In the Reagan administration, we made a little mistake. Looking back, I feel we made a little mistake. We nominated Scalia before Bork. And actually, the hardest nomination to get confirmed was the second one of those two. If we'd gone with Bork first, we would have gotten him. And if we'd gone with Scalia second, we likely would have gotten him too. This is the perfect time to nominate the best of the best and duke it out before a midterm election. It'll be much harder, should there be another vacancy, to get somebody like a Barrett confirmed. It'll be much harder, despite all the baloney that you're being fed. Now, I can go through each of their records. It's unnecessary. Why should I? We'll wait for the nominee, and then we'll go through the nominee's record. I would just point out one other thing. There's some truly preposterous people out there who write columns from time to time. Max Boot, George Will, who I used to admire greatly, who are telling you to vote Democrat in the next election because we have to purify the Republican Party. We have to get this Trump stench out of the Republican Party. These men are fools. Absolute fools. Here we are debating the qualifications of four individuals none of whom is anything like Ruth Bader Ginsburg or Stephen Breyer or Sotomayor or Kagan. And this would not be possible but for the fact that George Will and Max Boot and their ilk and the never-Trumpers lost. But one of my concerns about Kavanaugh, frankly, and if he's the nominee, we'll deal with it, is that many of these never-Trumpers, many of these former Bush officials... The Wall Street Journal editorial page, always weak in the knees. Many of the never-Trumpers over at National Review are hot on this guy. Very hot on this guy. What do they know that we don't know? What do they know that we don't know? Again, I'm going to come into this, should he be the nominee, with an open mind, and we will look at it together. Because I want the president to succeed. But even more... 
I want the country to succeed. We'll be right back. Mark Levin. Washington establishment was hot on Harriet Myers, and we were among those who led the charge against her. A lot of the same people who are backing uh, Kavanaugh. Now, I'm not comparing the two at all. Kavanaugh is actually quite accomplished. But I read his, uh, not just his comments, but I read his, uh, during the oral argument, the transcript, I ordered it and I read it. And he said, made some very troubling comments. And this will need to be explored if he's the nominee by the conservatives on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Suggesting, as an example, that maybe the way around this for Congress is to treat the, the, uh, the penalty as a tax, you see. And he rationalized about that somewhat. And some of that served as the intellectual basis for John Roberts' decision. It's also an excellent piece in The Federalist. had to be written by somebody anonymously because of all the nastiness going on out there. But that doesn't change the fact of the opinion that was written. It's not a news story of his positions on religious liberty. So these things will need to be explored. Again, I have a very open mind about this. I'll be right back. The new American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. I want to tell you a little story about how the Supreme Court, federal courts generally, but the Supreme Court in particular, became so powerful. While the Constitution created, as I wrote in Men in Black, the silhouette of the national judiciary, it was up to Congress, actually, to form it with legislation that would constitute a functional system of federal courts. Congress did this with the Judiciary Acts of 1789 and 1801. Now, the biggest problem with the Judiciary Act of 1801 was timing. The bill was introduced before the presidential election of 1800, but was not passed by the Federalist-controlled Congress until after the election, and while the deadlocked presidential election was being determined by the House of Representatives between Adams and Jefferson. So President Adams signed the bill on February 13, 1801, just three weeks before the end of his term in office. He also sent to the Federalist-controlled Senate nominees for the 16 new judgeships that were created, and they were confirmed shortly before the end of Adams' administration, so he quickly packed the federal judiciary. These judges came to be called Adams' midnight judges, some of whom became the subject of the case Marbury versus Madison. On March 8, 1802, just days after Thomas Jefferson's followers, the Republicans, took control of both houses of Congress, Congress repealed the Judiciary Act of 1801. On April 29, 1802, Congress enacted the Judiciary Act of 1802, which, among other things, abolished the 16 new judgeships created by Adams and the Federalists. In 1803, Marbury v. Madison decision, the Supreme Court determined that it had the power to decide cases about the constitutionality of congressional or executive actions, and when it deemed they violated the Constitution, overturned them. The shorthand label given to this court-made authority is judicial review. And this, quite literally, 
is the foundation for the runaway power exercised by the federal courts to this day. What is far less recognized is that Marbury started out as anything but the ominous uh, precedent it, it has become. Marbury was a brilliantly conceived political strategy crafted by John Marshall, a master politician. Marshall, the chief justice of the Supreme Court, wrote the decision not to set a revolutionary precedent, but to deny the new president, Thomas Jefferson, his longtime political rival, an opportunity to rebuff a Supreme Court controlled by Jefferson's Federalist opposites. Marbury was precipitated by the election of 1800, in which Thomas Jefferson, the incumbent vice president and leader of the Republicans, ran for president against the incumbent president, John Adams, leader of the Federalists. The Federalists controlled both the House, both houses of Congress, but were torn between the followers of Adams and Alexander Hamilton. Hamilton and Adams hated each other's guts. Hamilton's faction withheld its support for Adams' re-election bid in 1800, and the race ended in an electoral college tie between Jefferson and his vice presidential running mate Aaron Burr. The Constitution, by the way, was amended as a result of all this with the 12th Amendment. Adams came in third. The election was then thrown into the House of Representatives to decide who would be the president. Realizing he would not win re-election, Adams moved to solidify his party's influence in the federal government. The passage of the Judiciary Act of 1801, creating 16 new federal circuit judgeships, was part of his strategy. And just prior to leaving office, Adams selected and the Federalist-controlled lame-duck Senate-confirmed nominees to fill the posts. Adams' turn ran out. However, before John Marshall, who was then Secretary of State, could actually deliver the commissions of office to some of the designees. You understand? Marshall was Secretary of State involved in the matter. He could, he, he, time ran out before he could deliver the commissions of office to some of the designees. Marshall's successor as Secretary of State was James Madison. And he refused to deliver the commissions, as President Jefferson's direct, directed. And William Marbury, among others, filed suit in federal court, seeking an order, writ of mandamus, directing Madison to deliver his commission as justice of the peace. Marshall, long a rival of Jefferson's in Virginia politics, was one of the most articulate leaders in the Federalist Party, the Adams Party. Marshall had served in the Virginia State House, the U.S. House of Representatives, as one of President Adams' representatives to France in 1797, and then as Secretary of State. He was nominated to be Chief Justice by Adams and assumed the post on February 4, 1801, exactly one month before Adams' presidential term ended. With a Republican majority elected to both houses of Congress in 1800, Marshall realized that Jefferson and his Republicans could denude the Supreme Court of authority that he, as now Chief Justice, and could be impeached and removed from office. Marshall understood that in the Marbury case, if he ordered Secretary of State Madison to deliver Marbury's commission to office, Jefferson would order Madison to ignore the Supreme Court's writ, and the court's authority would be seriously weakened. And Marshall was also concerned that he not be seen as protecting the interests of Federalist jurists like Marbury, who had assumed his position as Justice of the Peace and had been hearing cases and issuing judgments for a year. Bearing all this in mind, Marshall's decision in Marbury versus Madison, 
while upsetting the Constitution's balance of power and the relationship between the federal government and the states, was a master political stroke. Marshall stated that Marbury, consistent with legal doctrine at the time, had something akin to a property right to the office to which he had been nominated and confirmed. Marshall also said that the federal judiciary should be able to issue an order directing the appointment of Marbury, but because the Constitution did not enumerate such an original right for the Supreme Court, the court was powerless to do so. Okay, fine. But there's more. Marshall went well beyond the specific issues in the case. He said that the court had a responsibility to set aside acts of Congress that violate principles enumerated in the Constitution. So having already ruled in a way that settled the issue, this is where the seizure of power occurs. He wrote in part, Between these alternatives, there is no middle ground. The Constitution is either a superior paramount law, unchangeable by ordinary means, or it is on a level with ordinary legislative acts, and like other acts, is alterable when the legislature shall please to alter it. If the former part of the alternative be true, then a legislative act contrary to the Constitution is not law. If the latter part be true, then written constitutions are absurd attempts on the part of the people to limit a power in its own nature illimitable. Certainly all those who have framed written constitutions contemplate them as forming the fundamental and paramount law of the nation. Consequently, the theory of every such government must be that an act of the legislature repugnant to the Constitution is void. The judicial power of the United States is extended to all cases arising under the Constitution. Could it be the... These are the, the important parts. Could it be the intention of those who gave this power to say that in using it, the Constitution should not be looked into? That a case arising under the Constitution should be decided without examining the instrument under which it arises, this is too extravagant to be maintained. So Marshall's Federalist Party had lost the presidency in Congress, but Marshall was determined to fight back. And so the doctrine of judicial review, as applied today anyway, was born. Obviously, there's an implied power of judicial review. Yes, the Constitution is indeed the supreme law of the land, but now the court, by its own fiat, would decide what is or is not constitutional. The Constitution structure, including the balance of power between the three branches, was now broken. Now, although Jefferson is claimed by modern Democrats as the father of their political party, he was a leading opponent of judicial activism. And after Marbury, Jefferson became an even more vocal critic of what he viewed as the overreaching of the judiciary under Marshall's leadership. To Abigail Adams, John Adams' wife, Jefferson wrote a year after Marbury, quote, The Constitution meant that its coordinate branches should be checks on each other. But the opinion which gives to judges the right to decide what laws are constitutional and what not, not only for themselves in their own sphere of action, but for the legislature and executive also in their spheres, would make the judiciary a despotic branch. And Jefferson's concern about judicial power grew stronger as he passed into old age. And as he wrote letters about it. Obviously, there needs to be some form of judicial review. It's an implied power. It's not an explicit power in the Constitution. But the court has taken an implied power, made it an explicit power, and now has used it. Has used it to muscle up against the other two branches of government. 
And so we sit here every June on the edge of our chairs, waiting for five justices, essentially, to tell us what is or is not a fundamental right, what is or is not legal, what is or is not a constitutional uh, issue. And I say, that's not well and that's not good, so not all well and good. This, ladies and gentlemen, is one of the main reasons we need a convention of states. And what I proposed in my proposed reform amendments, there's 11, but one of them, is that three-fifths of Congress, in a joint resolution, acting within two years of a final decision of the Supreme Court, should have the power to overrule it. Or, and... Three-fifths of the state legislatures, acting within two years, so you want stability and finality when it comes to an issue, could do the same. That's not an easy bar to climb or to get over. But to me, there has to be more than one judge, than one lawyer in black robes having control over the future of the nation on, on critical issues to society. That the broader body politic, not through referenda, not through plebiscite, not through voting, but through their elected representatives, can take back some of the power that was granted not to the courts, but to the representatives of the people. And so that would mean that justices on the Supreme Court would have to be a little bit more mindful of what they were writing, knowing that they did not have the final word, that the potential final word existed among the people through their elected representatives, either through the federal Congress or their state legislatures. I do not expect that that process would be triggered often, but it needs to be there as a possible trigger. Because otherwise, we will continue this greatest republic to rely on a single judge a justice to decide monumental issues that a diverse, large republic should be deciding essentially for itself. There's no reason to nationalize all social issues except for the fact that the court has wanted to do so. And I'll talk a little bit more about this when we return. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. You know, I'll bet you'll never guess my favorite place to sit. Well, if you sit on my tuchus, that's a good start. But seriously, in my car, no. On the sofa in my living room, no. No, actually, it's at my desk right now where I'm sitting. It's my amazing new X chair. The X chair is not only the most modern and stylish piece of furniture in the bunker, it is luxuriously comfortable. And I ain't kidding. It molds itself to my body giving me ideal posture, which in turn gives me more energy, better concentration, and more productivity than I ever thought possible. You want to take a look at it? It comes in different colors, but you can see mine on my Facebook page. Don't waste another day in that generic chair you've been using. Maybe you got it at one of those office stores or one of the warehouse stores. Get an X chair. Feel the difference. You don't have to have a bad desk or a bad 
back or whatever to enjoy the chair. I have a bad disc, but I enjoy my chair. Heck, if you own a company, get them for the entire office and see how much your employees appreciate them and how productive they become as a result. Now, here's a special deal just for you, and I mean that. It is truly exclusive because X-Chair only promotes on my show. It's a sponsor of this show. Go to xchairlevin.com. That's xchairlevin.com. Go there now and get $100 off. That's xchairlevin.com or call their toll-free number 1-844-4X-Chair. Simple. 1-844-4X-Chair. X-Chair comes with a 30-day, no-questions-asked guarantee of complete satisfaction. You're going to get that from some office store, the warehouse store? No, you're not. So go to xchairlevin.com now. And by the way, if you use code LEVINFOOTREST, L-E-V-I-N FOOTREST, you'll get a free footrest too. My feet are on my footrest too right now. So go to xchairlevin.com, xchairlevin.com, or call one 844 xchair one 844 xchair This is truly the greatest, most comfortable chair I have ever had. Mr. Producer would tell you if I had his microphone open, I'd tell him every day how comfortable my back is. And that's, that's doing something. Now the left. How much time do I have, Rich? The left fundamentally transforming America. And no better place for them than the ongoing constitutional convention on the Supreme Court that they view as their own personal political Politburo. Here's Democrats who are scared to death of what's going to happen. Hat tip, Grabian, go. What's the court going to look like for the next 30 years? We're looking at a, a, a destruction of the Constitution of the United States, as far as I can tell. This is a line that's been drawn about whether we are going to criminalize women. This nomination could move the court in a really dangerous direction. It's a very thin line between putting a woman in prison for a stillbirth or a miscarriage that she's blamed for, for something she did during her pregnancy, and criminalizing abortion. What's at stake are, are their constitutional rights, the protection against the abuses of power by the president, by Congress, by by corporate America. A uh, justice that would reverse Roe. What happens? In essence, we go to 50 civil wars in each of the states plus the District of Columbia. For instance, federal survivor benefits from Social Security. Federal worker pensions could be lost. He does think a woman should be, woman should be known as the Aunt Lydia of the Supreme Court. And I think the legacy that this president is creating really is turning back the clock a hundred years but we are in an unparalleled moment of assault on the rule of law when our fundamental liberties are in danger equal rights equal freedoms equal liberty uh it's it's an issue of life and death for a lot of women we might lose some of the most precious ideals of our country so basically if you are not a straight white male in america right now you are probably freaking out women who are in states that do not have protection but who need abortions who literally need abortions are going to suffer from it unions people who are in unions are going to suffer this is not a fire drill this may be the pull the fire alarm moment that you have been expecting this is definitely the break the glass moment yes what it means as a woman of color uh, to be denied uh, equity and justice uh, in the system of justice in the united states my fear on the basis of who president trump might nominate this is an issue of extraordinary human rights on the line for generations to come um we're, we're not screwed we're, we're actually screwed for generations i think that the gravity of this is something that we have to take heed of this is the hysterical 
inane insanity of the left of the Democrat Party. And let me tell you something. This works on their base because their base is insane and hysterical. So even before the president nominates somebody to the Supreme Court, this is the propaganda, the flack on the left that's been laid out there that we're going to have to address, and we will address it. They are extremists. They are radicals. They have destroyed the judiciary, and they seek to destroy it further to fundamentally change America. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. You see, according to the demagogues on the left, and their crazy-ass front groups. We constitutionalists are only allowed up to four seats on the Supreme Court. That's it. There's a quota system for us. A quota system for constitutionalists. Four seats, that's it, but they control the Politburo. That's the way they view it. And we need to muscle through this. I want to read something to you from the New York Slimes on their editorial page from their editorial board, which usually includes a few ACLU types and other assorted whack jobs. And the title of the editorial was Democrats Do Not Surrender the Judiciary. Now, you see, they believe they own the judiciary. Don't surrender the judiciary. Right? Now, this would be the Holocaust-denying New York Times, as you know. All during the Holocaust, it covered up much of what was going on because the the leftists who were Jewish, who owned the newspaper, uh, didn't want to offend people in the United States by being too aggressive in its coverage of the Holocaust. This is what we're talking about here. This is the paper record, not my record, but somebody's. Listen to this editorial. With Republicans controlling the Senate and the judicial filibuster dead, The Democrats' odds of denying President Trump a second Supreme Court appointment are slim. Barring some unforeseen development, the president will lock in a five to four conservative majority, shifting the court solidly to the right for a generation. Now let's slow down. There's no such thing as a conservative majority. These are political terms. You're either a constitutionalist or you're not. And what's wrong with five constitutionalists on the court? And I don't even count. You know, if you look at John Roberts, there's your unreliable. I mean, he voted, he wrote the opinion on Obamacare, but it's not enough for the radical left. This is all the more reason for Democrats and progressives to take a page from the Godfather, listen to their language, and go to the mattresses on this issue. Because this battle is about more than a single seat on the nation's high court, with public attention focused on all that is at stake with this alignment, this is the moment for Democrats to drive home to voters the crucial role that the judiciary plays in shaping this nation 
and why the court should be a key voting concern in every single election. See what I mean? This has been going on since Marbury versus Madison, and it really reached its height during the progressive movement with Woodrow Wilson and others insisting that we must use the courts because they're permanent. They're there despite elections to advance our agenda. Listen to the language of the New York Times. This call to arms may sound overly dramatic. A call to arms. If you take that literally, a call to arms means a call to what? To weaponry. This call to arms. Now, we know they don't technically mean that, but can you imagine if a conservative said that? It's a call to arms to stop the left. Oh, my God. What's he want to do? Shoot people? This call to arms may sound overly dramatic. It's not. As hyperpartisanship, gridlock, and a general abdication of responsibility have rendered Congress increasingly dysfunctional, in other words, not advancing the progressive agenda, the judiciary is taking an ever greater hand in, listen, in policy areas, ranging from immigration to guns to ballot access to water rights. And John Boehner, the former Republican House Speaker, mused in 2016. Now, you know, they're sinking as low as you can to point to that drunk and that uh, that that guy. The legislative process, the political process in Washington is at a standstill and will be regardless of who wins. The only thing that really matters over the next four years or eight years is who's going to appoint the next Supreme Court nominees. What a bunch of idiots, all of them, quite frankly. Of course, it's not only Supreme Court picks that count. Lower court appointments matter enormously as well. A reality of which the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is exquisitely aware, as demonstrated by his efforts to ram through circuit court nominations at a dizzying clip. There goes the dishonesty of the New York slimes, the Holocaust deniers, as they deny facts that hit them in the nose. McConnell is being urged to push the, the confirmation of candidates that the president has nominated over time to the circuit courts because the Democrats have used parliamentary rules to slow them down to the slowest level in modern history. Now, how come that's not in the New York Slimes editorial? Thanks to Mr. McConnell's labors, Mr. Trump installed a record number of federal appeals judges in his first year. This bench packing will be one of the Republican lawmakers' prime talking points on the campaign trail this fall. The trillion-dollar question is whether Democrats can also use this battle to turn out their voters. This is not a given. If progressives wind up feeling as though their team didn't fight fiercely enough against Mr. Trump's nominee, again, they don't even know who the nominee is. This was written a few days ago. They could be less inspired to show up at the polls. But even if Senate Democrats pull out all the stops, the political reality is that Republicans have been far more effective than Democrats at galvanizing their base around the judiciary. Really? Is that how we got Obamacare? And some of the other atrocious decisions? Certainly this was the case in 2016. Whatever impact the former FBI director James Comey or Russian hackers had on the race, Mr. Trump owes a big chunk of his win to Mr. McConnell for shamelessly refusing to fill Justice Antonin Scalia's empty seat until after the election. You know, who wrote this, Schumer? Even conservatives turned off by Mr. Trump's sexual creepiness 
What does that have to do with anything? Sexual creepiness. When I think of sexual creepiness, I think of Schumer and everything. Can you, do you ever, can you imagine Mr. Producer Schumer? You understand what I'm trying to say? It's grotesque. Uh, could be rallied around the prospect of claiming that seat. And his endorsement of Mr. Trump, Senator. So it goes on in this, in this vein, ladies and gentlemen. The New York Times. Did I say the Holocaust denying New York Times? The deniers at the New York Times believe the Democrats own the Supreme Court. It is their Politburo. I'll say it enough times so the backbenchers repeat it. It's their Politburo. And we have a quota system, according to the New York Slimes and the other phonies on the left, which is you get four. That's it. Otherwise, you'll move the court right wing. It'll go to the right. No, no, no. You don't understand. We're nominating a Constitution. That's what we mean. A right winger. Well, don't you support the Constitution? What are you talking about? The Constitution was written by white, rich slave owners. But I thought you liked the Constitution. We only like it when we rewrite it. You know, Roe v. Wade, so forth. Now, with the New York Times pressing this hard, the Democrats will also demonstrate their insanity in the next few hours after President Trump names his nominee in less than two hours. I'll be going off the air, but I suspect there will be a leak before we get off the air, don't you, Mr. Producer? Yes, I suspect we will know, so you'll want to stick with us, because trust me on this, nobody's better at analyzing this than I. Hell, I wrote a whole book on it. I'll be right back. I see you there. We're looking at our social sites, Mark Levin Show Facebook, Mark Levin Show Twitter. And at least when it comes to people posting on my sites, which is uh, fairly considerable, uh, Mike Lee and Amy Barrett are the preferred choices. So among constitutional conservatives, and that's what most of you are, you prefer Lee and Barrett, you're probably going to be disappointed. I don't know that with 100% certainty. But again, that doesn't mean that I, anyway, genuflect and all of a sudden oppose the president's nominee. In fact, I am predisposed to supporting the president's nominee. But we're going to look very carefully at the record. And of course, we're going to be very interested in the hearing. The problem is the Democrats are going to oppose anybody the president supports. And I don't know about you, but I'm sick and tired of Susan Collins and Lisa Murkowski, Maine and Alaska, uh, having the final say. I mean, we had a presidential election on this list, right? And uh, Susan Collins is out there in her best Catherine Hepburn telling us the president should add people to the list. Ah, shut up, you idiot. And she really is. No offense, with all due respect. There is an excellent piece at National Review Online by John Fund. Why should a single federal judge be able to make law for the whole country? It's something we've talked about here. It's something Justice Thomas has raised questions about. A single federal judge 
There's 599 federal district judges or thereabouts. Why should one of them be able to issue an injunction that applies to every single corner of the country? Why should they? Now, this has been the tactic of the left and the Democrats um, to try and forum shop, to try and found a judge who will do exactly that, right? Well, now let's take a look at something here, because Fund's piece really is, is excellent. He points out that the Supreme, that, let me see here if I can find it, uh, the power of the district courts to issue universal injunctions boils down to a policy judgment about how judges define the limits of a president's power, but that judgment is supposed to spring from the Constitution, not from the preferences of a black robe figure. Even after the Supreme Court made its definitive ruling in a 16-month-old travel ban case, the so-called resistance made clear it hasn't given up. On the very day the court ruled, a total of 16 states and the District of Columbia sued to stop President Trump over his border security measures. So they form shopped. And this idea that a federal district judge can impose its will on the entire United States, this is a fairly new idea. It's a fairly new idea, and it's a very bad idea. Once again, something needs to be done about this. And there's some ideas out there, and I'm not against against them right out of the box. I mean, I need to think them through. I've made the case that Supreme Court justices should not serve for life. 14 years and out. But maybe no federal judge should serve for life. I mean, if we're going to elect politicians, then elect them. Why have them dressed up as judges with lifetime appointments? So uh, let's see what's going on out there. Here we go. Pulling it up right now. Let us go to Tom, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, Sirius Satellite. Go. Hey, Mark. This uh, Justice Roberts is a real disaster. It, even if we get a great uh, nominee like Barrett, the court is going to be five to four for health care because of what he did with Obamacare. It's going to be five to four with immigration because of what he did with the Jan Brewer case where he denied states the ability to defend their borders from immigration when the feds don't enforce the law. And as far as the age of Barrett, wait till you see what the libs and the next Democrat president nominate. They're going to get a lib who hates America in their mid to late 30s with a genetic background of their parent profile that will ensure they'll lock up the seat for more than 50 years. Yeah, why is somebody 47, 46, 48, why is that too young to serve on the Supreme Court? That is an amazingly absurd comment to me. Why are you surrendering the advantage of age with somebody who's so brilliant with that kind of pedigree? Why would you surrender the advantage of age? But age is just as important as the ideology. If you get if you get someone with a great ideology but they're 59 and their parents only live to be 71 years old, you just gave up the seat for only 10 years so that the age becomes super important and barrett's age at 43 i might even argue that's as old as it should be is she 43 i thought she was 47 what is she um, 46 you're right 47 it's wait till you see what the democrats do this 28 year old bartender from the bronx who hates america is a perfect nominee. Well, for- the idiot biden was elected to the senate when he was 29 sworn in when he's 30 and he's been a rash ever since 
Well, they're gonna they're gonna get someone that hates the country. She is she is forty six. Okay. Yeah, and and the, the rest of them that are beyond fifty, it's too old. I mean, it just is. You got we got to lock up the seat for at least thirty years. But let me ask you this: What is the big deal? You're a mature adult. You've got uh, a a significant uh, professional pedigree, brilliant writing. So you're forty six, and you're not fifty three. What is the big deal? There is no deal. big deal. It's absurd, except, as you point out, you just gave up seven years, potentially. The, the Democrats are going to have the ideology of the O.J. jurists as, as far as um, right. giving the reason why they vote a certain way on every single case. They don't have to have a reason. All they got to do is vote lockstep like Now, Mueller. let me ask you another question. Why is it okay for a nominee uh, among the status progressives to come out and say, I support Roe, it's the rule of law, it's the law of the land. But our guys go, well, I'm not sure, I don't know where... Isn't that ridiculous? It is ridiculous, and they're, they're making fun of us as being dorks and prudes and um, defending the constitutional way of... Hey, what's wrong with dorks? All right, my friend, thank you for your call. Let us go to Chuck... St. Louis, Missouri, XM Satellite. Go. Hey, Marco. I've wondered why a guy like uh, my buddy Trumpster wouldn't just ignore these uh, single judges, single circuit court judges. I mean, it clearly. You mean district court judges. Well, part of the reason is uh, he could be impeached. But what you do when you get a district court ruling like that is you appeal it. And so it's not the final say. The problem is. They're doing it all the time. And the issue is that these judges are acting outside their traditional norms of what a district court can do. And so when these leftists form shop, I mean, they can go to Seattle, they can go to San Francisco, they can go to Madison, they can go to New York, wherever it is. Find your typical liberal federal judge. And by the way, that's bad enough to know that you can find a judge who's basically in your ideological back pocket. And get a ruling from one of these Obama hacks, excuse me, judges. And then, uh, and then that ruling applies to every district in the country. That's absurd. But, Mark, isn't that those judges not playing by the constitutional rules and boxing us in to play by the rules? Okay, the only answer for that is to impeach them. Do you see anybody wanting to impeach them? No, but what if, what if Trump... Just ignored them. They they have to impeach him. Like for- I just said, he doesn't have to. He can appeal the case, and he does appeal the case. And he's won a number of them. I mean, you won a big one in the Supreme Court. So ignoring it doesn't change anything. You appeal it, potentially win. The problem is that the courts are lawless. The courts that are supposed to enforce the law, uphold the law, uphold the Constitution, do no such thing in too many instances. We'll be right back. The Reagan Coalition meets every day. Call now, 877-381-3811. One of the things I look at to try and read the tea leaves as to who may or may not be nominated is where is the judge physically located right now? Now, unless these multiple reports are false, Judge Amy Barrett is home in Indiana. 
So that suggests, and I could be wrong, that she's not it. Time will tell. Time will tell. We shall see. It's a big game to everybody. It's not a big game to me. This is serious as can be to me. John, Chicago, Illinois, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hi, Mr. Levin. Thanks for taking my call. Um, The reason I'm calling is I recalled that uh, Senator Durbin had opposed uh, Judge Barrett's nomination for the appellate court. So I found a video online of his floor speech opposing her. And oddly enough, he opposed her because she had once written that a judge should overturn precedent if that judge believes that that precedent violates the Constitution. Well, if a judge doesn't overturn precedent, then Dred Scott would still be the law of the land. Plessy versus Ferguson would still be the law of the land. Korematsu would still be the law of the land. Is Dick Durbin as stupid as he appears to be? (laughs) Apparently so. He's he's very slippery. Yeah, he's a uh, dishonest, discredited moron. But thank you for your call. And that's the best I can say about that guy. Oh. Yes, indeed. Uh, let me get to this. Simply Safe. Here's what I love about Simply Safe Home Security. These guys obsess over the details. It's why the alarm system is so darn good. Now, here's an example. A typical glass break sensor sometimes gets fooled, like a false positive. Sounds like dropped plates, a baby crying. Well, Simply Safe didn't want to settle for typical because really good home security should be really good which means accurate. So they actually constructed a glass break test facility, refining their glass break uh, detection technology until it was so accurate it could distinguish a broken plate from a broken window. This is the level of detail Simply Safe puts into everything they do. It sets them apart from other security companies. Simply Safe's system is designed so you'll never notice it, never have to think about it. It's that easy and intuitive. There's no contract. There's no wires. It's cutting-edge technology. And they work hard to earn your business. 24-7 monitoring with police and fire dispatch. Just 15 bucks a month. It's the best around-the-clock protection you can find anywhere. Protect your home and family right now with Simply Safe. Visit simplysafemark.com right now. That's simplysafemark.com. Simplysafemark.com. Good buddy of mine wrote, I've always said it should be 15 years, sir. That is for a Supreme Court nominee limited. Uh, And he also suggests an age limit of 70 years. Times change. Plus, there are plenty of qualified judges out there. So um, what do you think of that? It's not a bad, it's a very, it's fascinating idea, isn't it? Some fascinating ideas there. All right. Another call. Joe, Cleveland, Ohio, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Home, well, it used to be home of LeBron James. Hi, Mark. What do you think of LeBron James, sir? <laughs> uh, well, uh, I, I liked him when he was in Cleveland very much, but he moves around, and I accept that, too. Well, you're probably the only Cavaliers fan who does. But anyway, go right ahead. <laughs> Well, Mark, I I know that, uh, of course, the appointments of the Supreme Court justices are one of the important 
aspects of them uh, is that they're appointed to lifetime appointments. So the other day I took out my uh, pocket copy of the Constitution that I gratefully received from Hillsdale College mm-hmm. and uh, went over to uh, Article 3. And what the Constitution says is that federal, all federal judges, including Supreme Court justices, get to serve during good behavior. Right. There is no mention of a lifetime term. And I'm sitting there reading this and I'm saying, well, like, am I missing something? So I did. No, sir, but this was litigated in the case of Samuel Chase, who was a Supreme Court justice. Uh, Thomas Jefferson urged the impeachment of Samuel Chase because of an opinion that Chase wrote, which he thought was absolutely outrageous and unmoored from the Constitution. Uh, Jefferson was defeated in this regard. And so the the tradition since then has been that you cannot impeach a judge or justice based on their uh, written opinions. Okay. Uh, the uh, uh, Some of the stuff that I in, in uh, doing the research... Or you can imagine what the Democrats and the liberals would have done to Scalia and vice versa, and you just have a mess on your hands. Yeah, and... Uh, uh, judges in the Constitution, uh, I read the section on impeachment, and they are not even mentioned in that section. What do you and mean they're not mentioned? Uh, the, uh, when they talk about they, impeachment... They are oh, civil officers, sir. Oh, okay. All right. Yes, yes. Uh, one of the... Um, Anything else they, before we have to trot along here? No, the only other thing I wanted to mention, Marcus, I heard what you said earlier about, uh, you know, we just had an election here. And I think one of the uh, other things that the Republicans, they need to go more on the offense. One of the points they should be making to the people is that for the first time, when the people elected this president, they knew in advance at the time of the election, his list of candidates. For the That's an excellent point. I don't ever remember that happening before. No. So before uh, they would elect the president and he'd come up with an appointment and like, you know, where did this guy come from? And people would be against him mm-hmm. and uh, might say things like, well, if I had known in advance, well, this time they did. No, it's a good point. All right, Joe, thank you for your call, sir. Mr. Producer, do you think LeBron James is the greatest basketball player ever or Michael Jordan? I think Jordan, too. I don't know if it's hands down like you do, but I do think it's Jordan. Uh, Please don't call about it. I'm not doing a sports show. All right, let's continue. Carrie, Livingston, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hey, how are you? Let me look. Very good. Thank you, sir. Uh, Thanks for taking my call. I think that Trump should nominate the person that he thinks is going to be the absolute hardest to get confirmed. And the reason is, if you get them confirmed, fine, the next one's going to be easier, and there is going to be a next one. And if you don't get them confirmed, you're going to pick up at least three seats in the Senate. I, listen, I agree with you. I don't know about three seats, five seats, one seat in the Senate and so forth, but I think it, it would be very effective as a campaign issue, and it should be. But you need to take the toughest one now. And the reason you need to take the toughest one now, because the next one's going to even be harder. So... uh and in addition, you got a midterm election coming up, your point, a point I've been making now, too. And if they take out somebody like a Barrett or, or a really solid constitutionalist, well, then you run on that, at least in part. That is the well, senators no. and the congressmen. 
I don't think there's any bar to resubmitting whoever lost. Yeah, but you now better have enough votes. Changed. Yeah, no, there is no bar to it, but it's it becomes very, very difficult to get that person confirmed. But anyway, uh, good points. Getting a lot of good points. What's going on around here? Thank you for your call. Let's go to Cameroon, Hartford, Connecticut, the great WABC. Cameroon, go right ahead, please. Hey, Mark, it's Cam from Canterbury. I, I know it's Cameron, but it's spelled like Cameroon, is it not? Be honest. Yeah, that's like saying uh, maroon when the guy's actually a moron. You know what I mean? <laughs> All right, go ahead. Sorry. Uh, here's where the, the brilliance comes in. Yes, yes. He. Uh, Who is he? He, he picks uh, Amy Barrett. But I just told you Amy Barrett's still in Indiana, unless they do it by Skype, I suppose. Or maybe yeah, they'll well, secretly fly her in in the next hour. I don't know. Well, he's, he's playing the game called Pick a Chick. And he's going to pick the Catholic chick. And the reason he should do this is that he can then expose the, the, the true conservative mind and a, a, a staunch Catholic mind. And then this competes with the globalists because the what does that have to do with pick a chick? Well, it's, it's just a nickname we use for what he's going to do. He's going to pick a chick tonight. He should. And then he draws all the attention to her conservatism and her staunch Catholicism and and shows these young... Now he doesn't need to draw attention to her staunch Catholicism because that's not supposed to play a role in a justice's decision-making. If I were an Orthodox Jew, that's not supposed to play a role. None of that's supposed to play a role. Well, it does. And, and when, when, when her name is withdrawn, you see, then he can come in with Hardiman. All right, thanks for your call. Happy hour's over. Happy hour's over. Going on and on like that. Let's see here. Chuck Schumer on the floor of the Senate today, and I don't mean face down in a drunken stupor, although. Uh, let's go to cut to Mr. Producer. Go. Whomever the president selects tonight, if that nominee is from the pre-approved list selected by Leo and the Heritage Foundation, everyone ought to understand what it means for the freedom of women to make their own health care decisions and for the protection for America. Now let's, let, let's, let's, let's stop a second. Women are free to make their own health care decisions. Let me repeat it so everybody can hear. Women are free to make their own health care decisions. There's two issues here when it comes to abortion. It's another life that's involved, if you believe, life at conception or any time thereafter prior to birth. Does not science tell us that that's a life? And will Mr. Schumer even make a distinction between life at conception and life one minute before birth? He won't, because he's a radical. Because he's a radical. When you do a partial birth abortion... You turn the baby around, the baby's still inside the mother, so the feet come out first, then the little legs, then the thighs, then the rest of the body right up to the neck. The shoulders are outside the birth canal. Then they take a syringe or a very sharp instrument and they stab it into the back of the skull of the baby. The baby being over eight months. 
Then they take a suction device and suck its brains out so the skull collapses. Don't tell me that has anything to do with the health of anybody. You want to talk about the Third Reich? That's the Third Reich. That's the Third Reich. You want to talk about it? Then let's talk about it. I'm sick and tired of this as a choice in a woman's health. I'm all for choices in women's health. But even up to the minute before birth, that has nothing to do with a woman's health. There are two human beings there. Two. I don't need Chuck Schumer on the floor of the Senate telling us that if you don't support abortion at every level, that you oppose health care decisions for individuals. That's sick. That's sick. Cut three. Go ahead. Mr. President, now we're going to hear. Ah, a lot- shut up, you idiot. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. I've spoken about in Primus, the nation's largest publication of conservative thought. Published by Hillsdale College, and Primus is always outstanding and always free. But I really want you to read this month's edition. It features our good vice president, our great vice president, Mike Pence's message to Hillsdale's graduating class. It's a message that will teach you, challenge you, and inspire you. You have to read it. 3.8 million Americans receive in Primus for free every month, including me. And those folks share their issues on average with two other people. You know what that means? 11 million Americans will read this important speech by our terrific vice president. You should be one of them. His words will help ground you in the teachings and traditions that are our greatest inheritance as Americans. The same teachings and traditions that are the surest foundation of a boundless American future. Every month in Primus equips you to defend and promote the principles of liberty, of civil and religious freedom, and our American heritage. Visit levinforhillsdale.com, that's L-E-V-I-N for hillsdale.com, to get your free subscription, starting with this inspiring speech by our Vice President, Mike Pence. levinforhillsdale.com. All right, I'm going to clarify some things, thanks to our friends at Right Scoop. Peter Baker, a reporter. Buzz at the U.S. courthouse in D.C., Brett Kavanaugh spotted leaving in a black sedan accompanied by four black SUVs with security agents. Is he part of the mob, Mr. President? Oh, no. Presumed to be Secret Service, per our source. Guy Benson. Okay, here's something he writes. Source just called with two pieces of circumstantial evidence, both strongly pointing to Kavanaugh. Intriguing data points, but not 100% solid. Asked another good source by text if he could confirm unable other sources have gone dark. Keith Lee, whomever, FYI, current talk from lawyer smack people is that Barrett's on a plane to D.C. with her family right now. I don't believe that's right. Our buddy, Eric Erickson, so late last week I tweeted something critical of Kavanaugh. By the end of the day, I'd gotten calls from the White House staff, outside people involved in the process, And about a dozen texts from people in and out of the White House defending Kavanaugh. That's quite true. Ted Cruz. I'm told Mike Lee has been spotted flying to Washington today. By the way, I'm told Batman was spotted. Did you see Batman in New York City there, Mr. Producer? I think he's on his way over. David French of National Review. If it's Kavanaugh, hard to see how he gets blocked. Me too, because I think uh, Collins and Murkowski will support him. That's the point. 
He's at least as qualified as Gorsuch. He's at least as qualified as Gorsuch? No, he's not. Just as shrewd and the shimmer of doubt from conservatives would give Collins Murkowski cover to say that they stood up to the right. You know, anyway, I'll move on from David French, who is, in my view, uh, often perplexing. David Harsanyi of uh, Federalist. Amy Coney Barrett. He just says it because he thought it. Let's see who else here. Orrin Hatch. Breaking Orrin Hatch told a few of us that he knows who the SCOTUS pick is and, quote, doesn't think it's Amy Comey, Coney Barrett. Is he an idiot? If he knows who it is, what does he mean he doesn't think it's her? Scott Greenfeld, or is it Field, or do we care? I'll pass him. He's taking a shot at Janine Pirro. Let's see here. All kinds of stuff. Maggie at the New York Times is reporting it's down to Kavanaugh and Hardiman. That has been reported now for the entire day. Has that clarified anything for anyone? Of course not. We'll know in an hour, you know. We'll know in an hour. Let's take a call, shall we? John, Cleveland, Ohio, the great WHK. We're running out of time. Quickly, go. Yes, sir. I have, I have big concerns about Kavanaugh. Primarily because of the legal work he did for John Roberts when he sold us down the river, river on Obamacare. And then he's been seen with the Bushies, you know, hobnobbing with them and everything. I'm afraid we might end up with uh, the same kind of guy that, that just left, uh, Kennedy. You know. And he was a Kennedy clerk. You know what I have surmised, sir? And I was the first to surmise this, so the little backbenchers jump. But that's okay. I surmise that Kennedy probably contacted the White House, and this is before anybody ever talked about it. Let them know that he's prepared to retire, but among those he's very he's very interested in the president considering to appoint would be two of his clerks, Mr. Kavanaugh and the guy from Michigan. And I think that's why they're on the list. I'll be right back. From the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, everybody. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. 877-381-3811. Now, I don't have this confirmed, but looking at various media reports that claim they do, I'll put it this way. I'm 95% sure it's Kavanaugh. Again, I could be wrong. Then if I am, I am. You'll know in an hour. Less than an hour. But I'm 90, let me say 98.7% sure it's Kavanaugh. So they'll be doing handstands over there at National Review and the Wall Street Journal and so forth and so on. And uh, we'll see how that goes. I'd be very curious to see the hearing. I don't care what the left says. I'm talking about uh, those who are more, uh, uh, let's see, I'm reading something here. Just bear with me because news breaks while I'm on the air. We are, after all, I am the cleanup hitter. Let's see, tonight to hear Trump and that. Senators who declined, listen to this, 
declined their invitations to the White House tonight to hear Trump announce his Supreme Court nominee, Susan Collins, Lisa Murkowski, Rand Paul, Joe Donnelly, Joe Manchin, Heidi Heitkamp. Now, it concerns me that Rand Paul wasn't interested. We'll see. And keep in mind, we conservatives have legitimate questions, too. Not for the purpose of sabotaging or sinking the guy, but because we need to know. I'm sorry. You've got to hear it with your own two ears and read stuff with your own two eyes. This is a very, very important deal. Uh, and uh, this is an assistant secretary of the Department of Agriculture. This is something that you and your family is going to have to live with for decades as well. So uh, we shall see what takes place. Um, I'm just trying to read more here. Just bear with me. One second. Uh, that doesn't provide much more information than I already have. All right. All right. Here is, who is this? Richard Blumenthal, who is always on TV. The guy is as dumb as a doorknob, and he is always on TV. Maybe that's why. Have you ever thought of that? He's on ABC's This Week with George Stephanopoulos. Cut eight, go. And by the way, you've just heard extraordinarily powerful reasons why the next justice appointed by this president ought to recuse her or himself, Rudy Giuliani, raising the possibility. So in other words, first of all, the president shouldn't appoint anybody or nominate anybody until after the election, the midterm election. That's never happened before. And whoever is selected should recuse themselves from doing anything related to the president ever, period. Now, that's absurd. If there's not a conflict of interest, the appointment per se is not a conflict of interest. Or we'd have justices recusing themselves all the time in an administration in which they were uh, from which they were appointed. I mean, so you have morons like this guy who pretended to see combat in Vietnam all these years. He gets elected to the Senate from Connecticut, the nutmeg state. Uh, Despite the fact that he's a serial liar. And a bizarro to boot. Go ahead. This next justice will sit on the issue of whether or not the president can pardon himself or others. Leonard Leo called that a red herring. Well, it's far from a red herring when Rudy Giuliani is saying he will not be interviewed. The president will refuse to talk to Robert Mueller or his team unless he is given evidence of a crime. Wow. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? We got two Department of Justice memos that have not been revoked. One during the Nixon administration, one during the Clinton administrations that say you cannot indict a sitting president. So if you want to interview a sitting president, uh, you don't get to just set up an obstruction trap, whatever the hell that is, since he's free to fire whomever he wants in the executive branch as a constitutional matter. But I don't think it's asking too much for the president's lawyers to say, well, let's see, you know, let's see at least your pretext. You don't just to get a bunch of questions of the president of the United States. Got him, got him, got him. Let's get him for false statements and perjury. It doesn't work that way. Yeah, but this guy's too stupid to know. Go ahead. 
preposterous position. And the next justice on this Supreme Court will probably be the swing vote and decide. All right, dummy. Uh, we dismiss you. Then there's Jeffrey Tubin, who's a, too stupid, quite frankly, but he's on CNN. And uh, we can't wait to hear what he says. Cut nine, go. Well, and, and you just have to remember how yes, extensive yes. the conservative agenda is yes, here of course. For, for the Supreme Court. It's not just rolling back abortion what rights. What does it mean to roll back abortion rights? Why don't they ever tell us? Are there any limits whatsoever? Why don't these people ever tell us? Why do they get away with this? Go ahead. Rolling back gay rights. It's not just eliminating. Um, well, who's rolling back gay rights? Who, what, what does that mean, rolling back gay rights? There's just some part of the federal constitution that doesn't apply to people based on their sexual preferences. Which part of the constitution is that? What does that mean, rolling back gay rights? Go ahead. Affirmative action. It's not just expanding the death Affirmative penalty. action. So here we go. You see, ladies and gentlemen, you can't believe in a colorblind society like Martin Luther King did. If you do not believe in affirmative action, then you are not qualified up front to be on the Supreme Court. You're not qualified up front to be on the Supreme Court. And when will affirmative action end? I don't mean to be uh, provocative. That's not my intent. When will it end? Will it ever end? And does it apply to immigrants? I mean, does, does this ever end? No, it doesn't ever end. It's now a privilege. Go ahead. It's limiting the power of government to regulate at all. It's oh, ba- yeah. The poor federal government doesn't get to regulate. So many regulations. We don't even know how many regulations there are. Hundreds of thousands of pages in the federal red. Oh, the government never regulate at all. Listen to this. He's the legal analyst. A guy who should be in a padded cell. He's the legal analyst. Jeffrey Tubin. Jeffrey. Come in from recess. Jeffrey. Go ahead. Taking what the conservatives did to Obamacare and do it to every law that Congress passes. Oh, you're such a moron. I mean... And they'll do it to every law that Congress passes. Who believes in that? Judicial restraint is a constitutionalist position. Who believes in that? CNN, this is why they have no ratings. Oh, by the way, Mr. Producer, did you see the, the main event on the UFC fight Saturday night? Oh, my goodness, was that a great fight. Finally... Daniel Cormier will get the credit that's due that he is a great fighter. He's been a great fighter. But because of John Jones, everybody mocked him and laughed at him. Not anymore. I like the guy. And that big slob Lesnar comes into the ring at the end, all dressed up, big WWE guy. He's like eight feet tall and, a, and about 700 pounds. Comes in there and he pushes uh, Cormier. Cormier will kick his butt. I don't care how big the guy is. All right, let's move on, shall we? Don't worry, I don't have attention deficit. So, uh, you've probably seen this, but I love playing it. Students in New York City, a.k.a. left-wing kooks, they're asked about the Supreme Court pick. Now, we can speculate, but as of this moment, 816, 817 
Eastern Time. That would be PM. There hasn't been a selection. So this took place like a day or two or three ago. And so our friends at Campus Reform, they start asking New York City uh, students what they think about Trump's pick, even though he hasn't made one. Cut 10, go. The big thing that's been in the news today, it's Supreme Court. Justice Kennedy's stepping down, mm-hmm. so there's a, a vacancy. Um, all week, people were worried about who it was going to be. This week, he made his announcement. What's your reaction to the, the, the justice that he nominated today? I'm honestly not surprised by his choice, but yeah. that's just worse for us. I just saw the pick, and I was like, like, it's almost at a point where you kind of expect that some, it's not going to be what you want. He's quite you know, extreme in his views. And I don't know if it would make the Supreme Court very even. I see it all over the news that, like, he's, he's like, uh, racist and shit. This new, like, nominee is very racist, and I think it's starting a new wave of something, something very negative. And I'm really scared about what happens in the future and what choices he'll make. And so what reaction have you seen on social media today after the news? Oh, outrage, as it should be. This is just a reoccurring yeah. thing. He keeps doing this with different positions and just doing whatever he wants, abusing his power. Just, do, you, do, you, so do you feel like his pick is an abuse of power? Uh, basically, yeah. His entire cabinet and everyone he's chosen has been the white supremacist Legion of Doom. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially over there at HUD, Mr. Producer. He's a white supremacist, isn't he? Go ahead. Who looks like me. Um, you feel like the Supreme Court nominee today kind of falls in that same line? Of course. They should all wear white hoods and burn crosses at the oh, Capitol. What a, because that's exactly what a dimwit. Go ahead. We the move. That's what they're going for. And the fact that he would put someone up there that is so racist and is not practicing the equality that we need to see, it's, again, it's insulting. And it's, he's not going to last. She's insulted by nobody who's been nominated yet. And, of course, we have uh, all kinds of white racists in the Trump cabinet, including Ben Carson, apparently, over at HUD. Uh, this is why uh, sometimes I wonder about the future of the country. Go ahead. Not a fan of the pick. I'm really not. I did speak to my dad a couple of days ago, and I know he, uh, he was not a huge fan of the decision that he made. What would be your message to President Trump on what qualities you would want a Supreme Court justice to have? Um, black. A, a black woman. Is it wrong, though, to, to suggest someone be picked just on the color of their skin, though? I mean, but I, I said black women for a reason. Uh, black women were the only ones who really turned out in full, full, full majority to not vote for President Trump. Uh, I think you should just listen <sighs> to the people, like uh, get the opinions of what people actually want. Do you yeah. think President Obama listened to the opinions of the people when he nominated two Supreme Court justices? Oh, yes, yes. There was a groundswell for Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Don't you remember that, Mr. Producer? People marching in the streets. We want Ruth. We want Ruth. Ginsburg is the one. Remember that? Go ahead. I was young then, so I I can't say that either. You were young and stupid then, and now you're older and stupid. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Could it be Hardiman out of Pennsylvania, serving on the Third Circuit? Stewart in Brooklyn, New York, thinks so. The great WABC. Go! Hey, Mark. Yes, I think it's Hardiman because I don't think Trump would dangle him two years in a row, 48 hours before the announcement like that. I don't think he'd embarrass him for two years in a row, so I think it's him. 
And it's on that basis. Totally on that basis. Although my first choice, if it was me, I'd be picking Amul Sapar from Kentucky. That'd be my choice. But yeah, I don't think he'd dangle him two years in a row, 48 hours before like this, if it wasn't his turn. I, I, I think it's him. Well, you might be right. We'll see. Second one, David, Portland, Oregon, the great KVBL. Go. Yes, hi, this is David in Bend, Oregon. Um, by the way, I love I'm your sorry, show. I meant Bend, Oregon, with, you're right. Uh, yeah, with Hannity, that was a great show the other night. Thank you, uh, appreciate that. Yeah, I love your Sunday night show. I believe it's going to be Hardiman, because uh, he was the last one to put in the mix, and I think the uh, the woman, I, uh, Barrett, is too inexperienced. And I don't, I don't know what that means, inexperienced. What experience do you really need to be a Supreme Court justice? Well, I don't think she has the the background yet. She's a good person. She'd be a great. No, no, no. no but why not? I want to. I want to explore this with you. What kind of background doesn't she have? Well, she hasn't really overseen that many cases. Uh, that so what? Before the Supreme Court. Well, before the Supreme Court, Hardiman hasn't. And none of them have had any cases before the Supreme Court. Well, Some of them have been judges longer than others. But so what? I, think I said Kagan was never a judge. Well, I, I don't know. I just believe it's going to be Hardiman. All right, sir. Thank you for your call. Let's see here. Mike, Charlotte, South Carolina, go. Mr. Mark, fantastic yes, sir. show. Been a listener. CRTV is awesome. Thank when you. are we as Republicans going to stand up? Let me back up. Not Republicans, but conservatives, constitutional conservatives, going to stand up and put somebody out there and let the left defeat us on their merits. We won't do it. We can't do it because we are fighting not only the left in the Democrat Party, but the mouthpiece of the Democrat Party, which is the U.S. media. I say put the most conservative person out there. Right now, because we have the House, Senate, and the presidency. We have not had this kind of opportunity in a long time. We need to realize it and make it happen. You know, you make a very important point. One of the things that should happen in this hearing, whoever the nominee is, that the conservative senators should make the case for the Constitution and constitutionalists. So they should make the case. When it comes to Roe, they should make the case when it comes to Obamacare. But even more, rather than playing defense, which is your point, play offense. Explain what they expect of a justice, this potential justice and any potential justice. Now is the education time because all the click lights will be on. That's your point, right, Mike? Positively. We have two of the three uh, pieces of the federal government outside of the, uh, the Supreme Court. Okay? Now, that's what the Democrats are all concerned about, because they're going to lose. Now, who cares? They're putting the red herring out there of Roe v. Wade, and that's going to cause much more emotion. They're playing on emotion. We need all to right, play on sir. principle. We need to throw them out there, put the most conservative candidate out there, and get it done. All right, sir. Thank you for your call. Roger, King George, Virginia, XM Satellite. Go. Uh, got you, Mark. Just wanted to make a comment about the hypocrisy. Um, in 1960, it was all about uh, Kennedy, uh, and the Democrats were doing everything they could to try to uh, 
uh, diminished the issue of his Catholicism. And now all of a sudden, if she, Amy Barrett is a Catholic, somehow they think she should be disqualified. And it, taking it to another level, take a look at uh, uh, Jack Woolen Kennedy, a, a very lovely, attractive woman who right. spoke two languages. But they hate a very lovely, attractive woman who happens to be married to a Republican who speaks for. Let's talk, you know, let's talk about what it's all about. It's tribal politics and hatred from people who cannot have their way. I haven't been this excited since the 8th of November in 2016 at approximately 10 Eastern Standard Time. All right, my man. Appreciate it, Roger. Well, 30 minutes left, we may know with certainty in the next 30 minutes. And if we do, I will let you know immediately. So don't go away. But we'll, we'll, yep, 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 yep. We'll be right back. The establishment's worst nightmare. Mark Levin. Call in now, 877-381-3811. Casper was created with one goal, deliver a great night's sleep at an incredible value. Fourth of July holiday, experience Casper for yourself and transform your sleep like I did. Casper's team of engineers work nonstop prototyping, collecting data, and engineering what is certainly the most comfortable mattress. The Casper mattress has a unique combination of foams, that provide the right pressure relief and alignment so you feel perfectly balanced and comfortable. Thanks to the breathable material, you're guaranteed to sleep cool all summer long. Try Casper yourself for 100 nights in your own home, absolutely risk-free. They ship it to you for free in a compact box. Now, if you don't love it, if you don't love it as much as I love mine, you don't have to put it back in the tiny box. They come pick it up and refund you everything, no questions asked. My suggestion. Take your current mattress, lean it up against the wall. Get your Casper, try it. I bet you'll get rid of that old mattress and you'll keep your Casper. Give it a try. So this 4th of July week, Casper is getting sleepy for summer. Go to Casper.com, save up to $225 off your order. Limited time only, terms and condition apply. That's Casper.com, Casper.com. We're looking. There's no more information right now, but we're going to keep tracking this right up till 9 p.m. Eastern. Doug, Lincoln, Illinois, on the Mark Levin app. Go. Hello, Mark. It is a pleasure to speak to you once again. Uh, my comment is uh, I, I'm personally, uh, selfishly maybe, out of frustration, rooting for Amy uh, Barrett. Um, one thing that frustrates me the most about the left is some of their... Uh, agenda. Uh, they're, they're so pro. Well, how do you like the way she's been trashed by so-called people on the right? She's too young. She hasn't been a judge. Uh, this, that, and the other. Like those are disqualifications. Well, I, I don't really believe that that she's not qualified. She's I mean, forty-six years old. Forty-six years old. We've had presidents younger than her. Vice presidents younger than her. She's 46 years old. She's highly accomplished as a, uh, as a scholar and intellect on textualism and originalism, which is exactly what you want. She's uh, written a significant amount of material for people to read. 
They said, well, she's only been on this bench seven months. That is a, 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 a non-issue. You don't have to have been a judge to be on the Supreme Court. Mm-hmm. Elena Kagan was never a judge. Yeah. Have I stymied you with my genius, sir? <laughs> I totally agree with you, Mark. All right, buddy. Thank you for your call. Steve, Springfield, Massachusetts, the great WGAW. Go. Hey, hey, Mark, how you doing? It's an honor to speak with you. I'm, I'm Thank you. you. I, I, I love I the way you analyze things. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm personally, I'm rooting for Hardiman because I, I like his stance on illegal immigration. Um, I think that, that that is really the number one issue. What is his stance on le- illegal immigration? Um, I, 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 I just, I don't know, I, I heard a few uh, tidbits. And he just seems like he uh, he has no tolerance for uh, illegal immigration nonsense. Well, you know, this is one of the areas where people have been suspect with Hardiman because he used to represent uh, aliens and so forth early in his legal career. I got him confused with the other guy. That could be my mistake. You know, um, uh, there, there was another guy um, that because uh, I, I heard uh, I heard about it from Ann Coulter. I was listening to Ann Coulter. Well, Ann Coulter was attacking Hardiman, but... Uh, oh, I, I must have got it switched then. I must have got it switched then. And being um, the legal scholar that she is, you know, it might be worth listening. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but I'll tell you, I'm, I'm glad that um, they're reviewing uh, decisions on uh, affirmative action because that has done more to turn... Whoa, 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 whoa. I'm not saying they are. I played audio of uh, one of the leftists out there, one of the Democrats, saying that you know, that they, these these nominees have to be right from their perspective on issues like affirmative action. Yeah. So basically, they have to endorse all the left-wing agenda items for the Democrats in order to uh, get a Democrat vote. Now, isn't that absurd? Oh, of course it is. I, I think uh, affirmative action has done, to, it has done more to destroy equal rights under the law. Now you've got all these special protected classes, and one group is more special than the other. It has actually created a class-filled society that's ridiculous. I agree. By the way, do you hear my dogs barking? <laughs> yes, I do. Yes. They're, they're, we have deer in the back, and uh, I'm convinced they're liberals. My dogs hate liberals. All right, my friend, thank you for your call. That's stereo barking there. We have Barney, and now we also have Marty. Barney's 19 pounds. You know Barney. He's, he's part terrier, part Bichon, part poodle, genius dog, little hyper. And then there's Marty, part hound dog, part beagle, part this, part that, a little more laid back. And you can hear these stereo barking now. In other words, I should have shut the door. David, Superior, Wisconsin, the great WDSM, go. Thank you for taking my call, Mark. I think Barney or Marty would uh, be a better pick over any lib. But let me go right to my point about me sticking with um, Judge uh, Amy Comey Barnett, because I really don't care what the media is reporting at this juncture. I don't care if she is at home in Indiana. Let me tell you why. Um, Well, first of all, I don't believe anything virtually that the media says. Secondly, it's very Trump-esque that he would bring her in through Skype or through some other means. You know, I, I just think he loves to push the left's buttons like we... All right, now, now the time to be having this take is after the fact. Because if you're wrong, then, it, then it's kind of a... I don't know, almost a, a kind of an establishment pick, isn't it? If it's Kavanaugh? 
I'm really, I don't know. I, I'm not all in on Kavanaugh. I'm all in for Judge Barrett. I know, but I'm, whoever you're all in for, you, you, you can digest the news and the information that's out there. And he seems to be the top establishment candidate. They're pushing like hell for the guy. They are. That's really true. And, and on that um, motif of, of education, I just want to thank you. We, we keep you in continuous prayer. And um, you're a great educator, Mark. And we so appreciate uh, your Sunday show on Fox. And it's a great learning experience. Week after week, you keep making better shows every week. David, I want to thank you. You know who the guest is this Sunday? Of course you don't. I haven't said Shelby Steele. Shelby Steele. And he is terrific. You're going to love Shelby Steele. We won't miss it. God bless you, and thank you for all you're doing. All right, my friend. You too. God bless. Let us go to John, Princeton, New Jersey, the great WABC. Go. Hey, the great one. How are you doing tonight? Let me look. Good. Go good, ahead. Good. Listen, what would a case even look like that would come up through the courts that would end up overturning Roe versus I, I, I speculated about this the other day, and it wouldn't be easy. Um, it wouldn't be easy. I mean, uh, I guess somebody would have standing to bring it, either some group or individual. I, I, it's just not an easy standing case. I guess a state could flat out outlaw abortion. <clears throat> then it would be challenged and work its way up the courts to the Supreme Court. There be in a future where, you know, they decide one day, hey, the Catholic Church won't allow people to get married because they're gay, but gay marriage is the law of the land. So here go, we've got to get rid of the Catholic Church. I mean, what are they trying to do to us? Well, they're not going to be able to get rid of the Catholic Church, but they can certainly do damage to people who have faith beliefs and religious beliefs that, that, that differ uh, from, the, uh, from sort of the, the, the cultural movement, the... the uh, the cultural direction of this country, and you see these battles in the Supreme Court all the time, you may recall, and even when it came to Obamacare. I mean, really, are Catholic Church-affiliated insurance operations required to pay for abortions? I mean, it's just crazy, but this is the way it works. You said it earlier. I mean, let politicians handle political questions and let the people take care of the social questions, but they don't get it. So. No, they nationalize these social issues like though they know better. All right, my friend. Thank you, John. Excellent call. And Maria from Oxford, Connecticut, Sirius Satellite. Go. Hi. Um, my opinion is I would love to see Amy Barrett because I would love to see a conservative woman. We have three liberals. Uh, it wouldn't bother me if any of them got picked, but I am rooting for her. Isn't it amazing how they always say conservatives uh, don't support women's rights and this, that, and the other? And yet, if we see our Margaret Thatcher, we see somebody who's really tops, we support them all the time. All the, They're the ones who trash conservative women, whether it's Sarah Palin or anybody else. I was just in the restaurant with my daughter, and we were saying the same thing. Can you imagine us going and throwing a drink at somebody because they're liberal? We would never even, the thought would never come into our minds. I mean, what they do to us is just, it's beyond, it's, it's beyond what I ever could imagine. I'm, I'm 73 years old. I've never been so involved in politics as I have been this past 10 years of my life. But, um, you know, I'm a conservative uh, I, I've always been a conservative, but I've never been so involved in politics as I have been since the Obama years. Um, and I'd like to say again, I love your Sunday show. I watch it all the time. You're wow, great. everybody loves the Sunday show. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. 
I'm getting complete 100% support for that show. <clears throat> there needs to be more advertising on Fox for that show. I've raised the point. But we're doing it our way with the support of Fox in terms of content and style, which is a long-form interview show, which I grew up with. And we don't need to wait for PBS to do it. We can do it ourselves on commercial television, on cable television. And that's what we did. And we had Hannity on, and he was absolutely terrific. And I bet you learned a lot about him, and you could see his personality shine through. Uh, And uh, as I say, we're going to have Shelby Steele on, or he's scheduled to be, uh, this coming Sunday, and he's terrific. And uh, after that, well, there's a whole list of people who we've reached out to who will be on the program in the coming weeks. And it's very, very exciting. I love doing the show. Mostly, I just ask a few questions and then a few follow-up questions. Uh, One of the things I'm trying to do is to get some liberals or democratic socialists, I think they call themselves now, on the program so we can dig very deeply into their ideology. But so far, there are no takers. I'm not talking about some homeless guy. I'm talking about we're looking for their top people. So far, no takers. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. about 10 minutes i will be off the air but we will discuss it at length tomorrow i hope you will join us you know uh, there's been another major security breach and this one by the marketing firm exactus may be the largest to date listen to this the personal information of 230 million people was leaked identity theft has gotten so bad that for every two of you listening the personal information for one of you has likely been exposed You can't mess around with this stuff. You need a different kind of identity protection. I'm very proud to partner with MyIDCare. It's a company that has been taking care of Fortune 500 companies for years, and now they will work with you personally. They cover you for the nine types of identity theft and provide best-in-class service. For less than 10 bucks a month, MyIDCare can even help if you're already a victim. Now, I switched to MyIDCare and signed up my parents as well. We don't want to worry about identity theft anymore, and neither should you. My listeners, you, you, also get 15% off at myidcare.com slash mark. Learn more, and then let myidcare take care of you. It's myidcare.com slash mark. Enter promo code mark. Myidcare.com slash mark. Enter promo code mark. So I don't have any additional information other than it looks like Kavanaugh, but you'll know in nine minutes. But I want to read something to you that's important from the Hill newspaper. In a phone interview today, former Ohio State University head wrestling coach Rick Hellickson vehemently denied that he or Jim Jordan had ever seen or been told that Dr. Richard Strauss was molesting or sexually assaulting OSU, Ohio State University wrestlers during the 80s and 90s. He said, I'm frankly pissed off at what they are doing to Jim Jordan. This is hysteria and politics turning the narrative. Jordan gave his heart and soul to the personal development of these athletes. If they are attacking him, they, why aren't they attacking the 30 or 40 other coaches at OSU? A whole lot of people were in the dark here. Nobody recognized this, he said. Jim Jordan didn't know anything. I didn't know anything. And I don't think any of the other coaches knew anything. 
Moments later, Hellickson and five other former OSU coaches issued a joint statement defending Jordan and saying that they would have spoken up had athletes reported specific cases of sexual abuse to them. What has been said about Jim Jordan is absolutely wrong. We all worked on the wrestling coaching staff during Jim's tenure at The Ohio State University. None of us saw or heard of abuse of Oaks SU wrestlers. The half dozen coaches said in a joint statement. The well-being of student-athletes was all of our concern. If we had heard of any abuse, we would have spoken up. I will go out on the limb and tell you that I believe Jim Jordan. Now, why am I going out on the limb? Because of all the efforts to take the man down. I believe him. All I hear is, he had to have known, he had to have known. Where's the evidence? Where's the evidence that he did know? There isn't any. There's zero evidence. That is not a case. That is a smear. I'm sorry, it just is. All right. The uh, senators are gathering at the White House for the president's announcement of his nominee to the United States Supreme Court. You can hear it in about seven or eight minutes. I mean, I'm open to a surprise. I'd certainly like to be, but I suspect it's going to be uh, Kavanaugh. That's what all the media are saying. Well, I don't believe the media. Well, I don't think this is an instance in which they would purposely lie and look stupid. I mean, it's possible, but what's to be gained by that? I don't think it's a lot. Let's go to Ray in Demi, New Mexico, XM Satellite. Go. Hey, good evening, Mark. Good evening. Uh, thank, thank you for taking my call. Listen, uh, I want to comment on your uh, Sunday show. You know, I, I'm 66, and I remember Edward R. Murrell. I used to watch it with my parents when I was a kid. And it, it, you've got that calmness, that maturity, that, that show. It just, it, you don't see that nowadays. I, I, probably a lot of people, just the fact they say Merle, they don't even know who this person is. But I know you do. <laughs> And I love your show. I love the fireplace. It's just something so adult. I, I sit back. I got my dog sitting next to me. We, we, we listen to the show. We watch it. And it's, it, it, it's, it's, it's just phenomenal, Mark. And thank you for, uh, I don't know how you uh, negotiated the deal, but uh, maybe you should write a book about the art of the deal. That's a good thing. Honestly, honestly, I think it was very kind of them. Fox came to me. Oh. I didn't go to them. Oh. It was very, very well, nice of they're, they're, Okay, smart people. Yeah. All right, my brother, I appreciate your call. All right. Why isn't there a countdown clock on the cable shows, Mr. Producer? Countdown to Supreme Court nominee. They always do that stuff. Now, by the way, if somebody says to you, all four of these, these guys or gals, all four of these people are the same, they're wonderful, that's not true. They may all be wonderful, but they're not the same. These are people that don't read supreme that don't read, excuse me, uh, judicial opinions. They're not the same, which is why there's been all this positioning and so forth and so on with respect to the various candidates. I will say the amount of campaigning and lobbying on behalf of Kavanaugh, as somebody who served in the Reagan administration, I'd never seen anything like it before from the establishment, from the Never Trumpers, from the Bush people, as well as some conservatives. I'd never seen anything like it. 
Well, ladies and gentlemen, it's out of our hands. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel. And I will see you tomorrow. I'll join you then, okay? God bless and be well.